tuned in to the Benton County Public Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Benton County Government at your service every day. Benton County is a great place to live and work. For more information about Benton County and a career with Benton County, visit co.benton.or.us. Welcome to Episode 3 of the Benton County Public Podcast, where we take a deeper dive into topics the community cares about. My name is Dan Crawl. I am your host for this episode. Benton County strives to be transparent. Your feedback is very welcome. You can always feel free to reach out to info at bentoncountyor.gov with your questions or feedback. On today's episode, I am joined by three experts in the field of emergency management and fire safety. We are joined by Brian Lee, who is the emergency manager for Benton County. Hello, everyone. We are also joined by Sandy Roberts, who is the PIO, that's public information officer, for the Albany Fire Department and for the Oregon State Fire Marshal's incident management team. Hi, Sandy. Hi, thanks for having me. And last but not least, we are also joined by Leo Williamson, who is the Protection Unit Forester for the Oregon Department of Forestry's Philomath Unit. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. Well, why don't we start off the discussion? I guess we could speak with uh, Leo and Sandy about the latest fire season. And we recorded this podcast in late June of 2023. So as far as the 2023 fire season, what's that been like so far? Yeah, so fire season 2023 here in Benton County is uh, off to an earlier start than usual. Um, If uh, our records are correct, it's the earliest we've been in fire season since 1992 here. Um, Looking at our our fuel conditions on the ground, uh, we're about a month ahead of schedule than what we typically are at this time. Um, That's just due to accumulative drought conditions that we've been experiencing here. So we had some localized intense rain events in the late spring, uh, which may have clouded some people's judgment of where we're at in terms of fire season. Uh, But again, we look at the big picture and and what weather patterns are doing over multiple years. And, um, you know, what led us again to this point today is the cumulative effect of of droughts um, and the fact that, you know, in this late spring and early summer, uh, the rain just seems to have, have shut off a little bit earlier than usual. Uh, so we are in fire season a bit earlier than typical this year. That's funny you mention that because I remember, I mean, I'm not an expert on climate or uh, fire safety, but I remember this winter it being especially wet, and I kind of felt this sense of relief that, oh, maybe we won't have such a dry, hot summer and the snowpack will be where it needs to be, And but that's not where we're at, huh? Yeah, so again, we had some periods of intense rain uh, this winter and and early spring, but uh, it it shut off quite early this year. So when we don't get those extended rains into early and mid-June, which is fairly typical weather pattern for this area, uh, things tend to dry out quickly. Uh, That's, it's evident in our fuel moistures. Um, We've seen, you know, lower humidities earlier in the, in the season this year. Uh, extended periods of no rain. I think we reached north of 30 days straight with no rain uh, before some of the rain we received this previous weekend. 
Um, so again, you know, we look at the big picture and when we have these cumulative effects year after year uh, and a, a typical, a non-typical um, moisture pattern for this part of the, the year, we, that, that dictates our, um, our decision to go into fire season a little bit earlier this year. Now, when you say typical, if we're looking just at the last few years since, say, 2020, with climate change being a, an actual factor that can't be ignored, does it feel typical then to have just dry fire seasons summer after summer? Yeah, certainly. I mean, we're seeing a trend, I would say, over the last 10 to 15 years specifically of fire seasons that start earlier, last longer, and end later uh, than uh, previous years. Looking into the crystal ball, it seems like we certainly are moving towards uh, this being more typical conditions. Uh, our weather patterns seem to be changing a bit. Uh, we're getting these periods of uh, extended, you know, absence of moisture earlier in the season. Uh, again, you know, we really sort of rely locally here on that um, early to mid-June rain to sort of stave off fire season until, uh, you know, early July. It's fairly common historically for us to go into fire season here uh, right around that July 4th time frame um, if we can. Uh, but again, we follow the calendar, not the conditions. So if what the weather conditions are saying on the ground is that, um, you know, our fuels, our conditions are there that it, it can support fire growth, uh, then when we're going to go into fire season. Thank you to Leo Williamson. He, again, is the protection unit forester for the Oregon Department of Forestries over in Philomath. And I, I'd like to ask you, Sandy Roberts, mm -hmm. from the Albany Fire Department, mm -hmm. um, what have you seen with the fire season this year so far in 2023? Well, the city of Albany is in both Lynn and Benton County. And so our fire response is in both counties. And we give fire protection and suppression uh, for both Lynn and Benton County. Um, and where the public would have seen the effects of um, this early fire season is we um, implemented backyard burn bans early this year. Um, the cutoff date is June 15th, and we put a backyard burn ban, and we, I mean your um, local fire defense board chiefs, and the which includes the ODF, um, decided to cut off burning at June 4th, and it was because of dry conditions. Um, there was also the consideration of wind. We've been having a lot of wind in the valley. People have probably noticed that when they're gardening and out and about. Um, we've had higher winds than we would normally see this time of year. We expect those windy conditions in July and August um, with uh, warmer weather. Um, so we decided, the Fire Defense Board chiefs decided to put that cutoff early to reduce um, any fires that we may see within city limits and out in areas that we provide suppression. So it's a full burn ban, no no agricultural burning? No, it's not a full burn ban. That's a big uh, misconception, especially within cities. Uh, once we, it's what we call a backyard burn ban. So a backyard burn ban means any um, burning that you wanna do of vegetation that you have cut, clipped, <laughs> mowed from your backyard, um, it's really easy for people to do um, a little burn pile. 
Um, and so that is what is restricted right now. People can have a recreation fire in their backyard. That's so like the a question. Fire pit or a if it's in, within a fire pit and a, desi- a designated fire pit. Um, but, but no the, piles of branches. No, that is banned now. And if you look around the state, that happened early for most counties. Um, I watch Clackamas and Multnomah and Wasco, Wasco County and lots of other counties, and that happened quite early um, this year. Um, but that's the biggest question we get is about those recreation fires. Can they mm-hmm. still people still have those? And currently in their backyard, they can still have those little fire pits. Why don't we clarify, so the burn ban that we have going on right now as of June 2023, and which will probably last into the summer, what specifically should residents know? You, you said a fire pit is okay, but no backyard burning. Do you have any other tips for people who maybe are accustomed to doing backyard burns or, or even just recreational fires in a fire pit? Wow, that's, there's a lot of recommendations from those two questions. I'll start with the backyard burning. Um, there's many resources that people can look to. They can look to the Benton County website. They can look to the Lynn County website. Um, they also want to contact um, the... Um, I was about to say DEA. I'm so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> they want to contact their county um, burn lines. Um, each county has a burn line. They're going to call into that line, and they're going to let them know um, based on the weather... Um, and um, smoke reports. They look at um, levels of smoke in the air and decide, is it a good day to burn? And so they need to call that burn line first. And then it's keeping piles to a manageable size, having a water source. (laughs) Well, I could say that the burn line number is, in Benton County, 541-766-6971. If you look right now, for instance, as we're recording this, I'm looking at Google and it says burning advisory has the phone number generally updated after 8.15 a.m. each morning. More information, is of, of course, online. And I'm seeing here the, the first page coming up is the Benton County uh, website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, with us being in fire season, with the Department of Forestry declaring fire season, um, you know, that's in partnership with our fire defense boards as well. And so... When we declare fire season, again, that's uh, it's a conversation with the fire defense boards, and uh, between ODF and them, we're we're lockstep in um, regulating burning within our jurisdictions. So the the message here is that no debris burning within fire season. If you're unsure about your campfire or the location where you want to have one, please call your local department. And whether you're within one of these municipal departments, so Corvallis or Albany or whether you're outside uh, of their jurisdiction and within ODF's protection, um, please call the appropriate office and there are folks there who are happy to help and answer your questions and provide any clarification. Um, So, you know, looking at these burn advisories, sometimes they say it's a burn day, but also in those it says to please contact your local department. And again, with us being in fire season, please no debris burning at this time. Why don't we also, while we're on that subject, discuss defensible space? I feel like a lot of people who rent or who are homeowners may not even be familiar with what defensible space means. 
Sandy Roberts, would you like to tackle this one? Sure. Um, defensible space is looking at your environment, i.e. your home, um, and how well is it defended against fire? You could look at it from the perspective as how well is it de- defended against flood? How well is it defended against a, a tornado? Um, we encourage people to look at their home as a firefighter would look at their home. Where are the points in their home um, that can be most affected by fire? And then we start at the home itself, looking at your roof. What's your roof made of? How old's your roof? Um, do you have vegetation that's on top of your roof? When's the last time you cleaned out your gutters? And then moving down the walls of the home, do you have points within the house that embers could enter your home? Do you um, have open sashes um, where embers could enter into the attic? Um, how say, can you, say during like a big wildfire, embers yeah, in the air. Yeah, how can, how can you screen off and make your home more defendable against fire? Most homes, there's a lot of research that shows most homes are affected by ember showers, mm-hmm. not fire itself. Um, it, embers, all it takes is one to find a fuel and your house is a fuel for a fire. Um, so you want to look at the whole 360 space of how can you protect it against those embers. And that means the roof, the walls, and then the base of your home. What's around the base of your house? If So for instance, if you like um, bark mulch versus rock um, around the base of your home, which is most likely to ignite? It's going to be the bark mulch, right? So it's taking that critical eye like a firefighter would to say, how can I defend this space? And then there are some rules about moving out, some basic rules about looking at the vegetation around your home um, to stop the spread of fire. Foresters use it in, in the forest and creating space between trees and what we call canopy cover and can fire jump from one canopy to the next. Well, it's looking at your vegetation around your home. Can the fire in the canopy of a tree jump to the roof of your house? Um, how will it spread around your home? Um, there's also fire adapted plants that you can use instead of highly flammable plants like arbovita. Um, juniper, things yeah, that have oil. a high oil concentration. Right, that oil burns hot too. Yeah. Um, it's looking at, do you manage your land? Like, how tall is your grass? Um, do you let it dry out? Um, there's lots of different ways to look at the vegetation around your home, and every home is going to be different based on your environment that you live in. If you live rurally, it's going to be different than whether you live in suburban Corvallis. And I should ask, what is a good rule of thumb for as uh, how far shrubbery or trees or vegetation should be away from the house? So all these recommendations should be taken into consideration um, of city codes, <laughs> county codes, uh, state codes. Uh, if you live in a city, you're going to have vegetation codes around trees mm-hmm. and plants and an- or animals. Um, We don't want people just going out into their front yard and cutting down a tree. (laughs) You need to look at the codes around what's acceptable um, for being able to trim, cut, all of those things. So please take a look at um, those codes and how they affect you. But some basic rules are, is your tree canopy touching your home? We don't want that, right? Because if the fire were to be up into a tree canopy, 
and it's touching the roof of your house, we know that fire will spread to your roof, right? So it's trimming those areas around your home um, in the tree canopy. From the ground up, the recommendation is six feet. So six feet from the ground up, limbing, um, so that you don't get that ladder, that ladder climb. If you have vegetation that's growing up trees, you definitely have what we call ladder fuels. And so if fire is on the ground, it's gonna spread to those ladder fuels and climb up into a tree. So looking at your trees, six feet up, pruning them. So if you have, if one has evergreens outside of their bedroom window, six feet away is, is a is good a good recommendation. And because everyone's home's different, um, referring to different um, websites that we have, resources in the state, is a great idea. Um, Oregon State Fire Marshal just um, released a brand new website. It's called OregonDefensibleSpace.org. Um, ODF has a fantastic website that you, uh, for defensible space, um, as does FireWise. Um, you can Google FireWise. It's going to pull it right up. And all these recommendations, not only in writing, but in pictograph, which I find really helpful when I can see a picture of something. Um, FireWise does an amazing job of showing you uh, those images and helping it reference to your house. You're listening to the Benton County Public Podcast. We are joined today by Sandy Roberts, who is the Public Information Officer for the Albany Fire Department, as well as the Oregon State Fire Marshal's Incident Management Team. We're also joined by Brian Lee, who is the uh, Emergency Manager. We are also joined by Brian Lee, who is the Emergency Manager for Benton County, as well as Leo Williamson, the Protection Unit Forester, the Oregon Department of Forestry's Philomath Unit. We'll be back after a short break. Do you know about fentanyl? Fentanyl is a powerful opioid that has made its way into the illegal drug supply. Fentanyl has no taste or smell and is being sold as common pills or in party drugs. Just a tiny amount can stop your breathing in seconds. Naloxone is a medication to reverse opioid overdose and can help save lives. It is available at no cost to certain individuals. Benton County Health Department wants everyone to learn more about fentanyl, naloxone, and ways to stay safe. You can type fentanyl aware Benton County into your search engine to learn more. That's F-E-N-T-A-N-Y-L-A-W-A-R-E in Benton County. You're listening to the Benton County Public Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Dan Crawl, And before we move on from discussing defensible space, as we are discussing fire safety and local aspects of it, Leo Williamson has some information on what the Oregon Department of Forestry can offer. So much like the resources that Sandy mentioned, um, ODF has a similar capacity when it comes to preparing homeowners um, for defensible space and, and making their homes more defendable from a wildfire. Uh, so locally here in Benton County, uh, I employ a, what we call a community wildfire forester. And uh, that individual will come out and do a home assessment 
um, on request uh, for for anybody within the county who's looking to get some clarity on how they should move forward on their property. So if they have questions on tree spacing or what they should do with their wood pile or what species they should plant, um, anything like that that concerns defensible space around their home, uh, give us a call locally at, at ODF's Fulhamath Unit Office and we can set up a time to come out and meet you on site and talk about those things. Um, additionally, that individual manages a, a series of grant programs that um, tend to rotate throughout the entirety of our district. So, you know, I work out of the Philomath unit, but uh, ODF is a state organization, and within our district, we have uh, a series of other counties that we provide service to. Um, so, those grants rotate throughout the county based on uh, continuity of fuels treatments, underserved communities, um, areas that, that haven't. Uh, received treatment prior and, and we prioritize um, through a consult with the community wildfire protection plans for each county on how to how to put those grants in place on the ground where they make sense most um, so there may be an opportunity to uh, use grant dollars to help conduct that fuels reduction work on your property and if uh, if there's questions on any of this or you're hoping to schedule a site visit you can uh, call our office at 541 929-3266. You're listening to the Benton County Public Podcast. We always welcome your feedback on the podcast. If you have ideas of episodes you'd like to hear, various topics you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, we are always open to an email at pioinfo at bentoncountyor.gov. My name is Dan Crawl. We are joined today by three different experts regarding fire safety and preparedness. And right now we're going to speak with Brian Lee. He is the emergency manager for Benton County, and he's going to discuss local plans and preparation for fire season and how Benton County specifically is prepared. Thanks, Dan. Uh, so what I really want to talk about is uh, what plans we put in place uh, going into fire season. Uh, really, emergency management takes a all-hazards approach. So really, all of our plans and preparations are geared towards any hazard, any emergency, any disaster. Uh, but there's a couple things we do specifically for wildfire season. A couple of those plans include our emergency operations plan, our community wildfire protection plan, and our natural hazard mitigation plan. Uh, those all outline general roles and responsibilities of different agencies, as well as priority projects that we'd like to implement uh, to mitigate some of the impacts of wildfires and natural disasters. Um, some of the bigger things that we focus on going into wildfire season are our coordination meetings. Uh, sitting here with some of our state agencies and local partners, uh, we really rely on these meetings and trainings and exercises to really sync up our uh, best practices, our communication methods, and what we expect to uh, get out of each other during an emergency response. Uh, each month, we train our emergency operations center staff to respond to emergencies, um, and particularly in a support function, and to cover operations like mass care and sheltering, volunteer and donations, uh, continuity of operations, and resource coordination. Um, and then we test them and in their training capabilities uh, during our exercises every quarter. Uh, we also do a lot of tabletop exercises with our uh, local and state partners as well as private sector partners as well. And again, that's just to make sure that we all understand the right roles and responsibilities and really what we're trying to achieve, which is resource coordination and protection of the public. Uh, the last thing we do uh, with our plans is really utilize some of our software tools. Uh, we have a couple new software tools that we're really excited about uh, that we're kind of tinkering around with 
that can help us with some zoned evacuation, um, and as well as different modeling of not only fire and hazmat, uh, but also traffic modeling. So we can see where what areas are impacted, and then what areas we would need to have traffic control points, um, and where we might have choke points with evacuation strategies. So that's kind of our, our litany of areas that we focus on, and some general strategies of what we do to prepare for wildfire season and all hazards. So in the case of well, this year, if we were to have a wildfire maybe similar to 2020 where the air is brown and there are flaming embers blowing through the dry air, what kind of action would your team take if, say, we were uh, approaching a, a level two or three evacuation? Sure. Um, let's talk about evacuations real quick on, on that regard. Yeah, um, one, levels one, two, and three, right? Correct, correct. Uh, in the state of Oregon, we all follow the uh, different levels of evacuation, that level one, level two, level three. Uh, the easier way to remember it really is the be ready, be set, go now. Um, sometimes it's called ready, set, go. But the general idea is at a level one, which is the lowest level of evacuation, that be ready. We want folks to be ready to evacuate. So start paying attention to your social media, your media outlets like this one, uh, watching your TV stations that have information. Just start, start really paying attention and getting your supplies together to leave. Um, at the level two, which is uh, be set or set, uh, that level, it, ideally, we'd like people to actually leave at that point and go to a safe area if possible. That's the time if you have folks who need additional support evacuating, uh, maybe they have limited mobility or um, they just have extra supplies you want to bring or pets or livestock. That's really the time to start mobilizing and get out of the area before things uh, become very crowded and chaotic. The level three uh, really is that highest level, which is the go now, and that's the imminent threat to public safety. That's usually the point where they're going door to door, uh, letting people know that they need to leave right now, and maybe you have minutes um, on the higher end, um, sometimes just seconds to grab your stuff and, and get out of your house and get to a safe area. So if we were at a level three, would that kind of information go to people's cell phones or over the EAS systems on local radio? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, at the lower levels, even we want to send out alerts uh, pretty much in a phase method. Uh, if a fire just started here, let's say on the edge of town, the immediately impacted area would get a level three alert through not only the EAS system, which is through TV and radio, but also through our Lynn Benton alert system uh, via their cell phone, landlines, uh, any communication method we can, we would, we would get that alert out. And then, of course, the first responders, fire and law enforcement would be going door to door, uh, letting people know they needed to leave. And again, we, we look at that level two, that be set as the time to go. Uh, oftentimes, there might not be time for our responders to go back and do another level increase. Um, at any given time, we have a handful of deputies on. Um, Corvallis Police Department has a handful of officers, and really it's a labor-intensive process to go door-to-door -door, um, and really track whether or not folks evacuated and uh, letting them know that we've gone from a level two to a level three is, is really challenging. So that mass notification tool is really the, the best way to go about it. I'm going to shift the topic just a little bit. As, as I remember back when we had a really bad fire season several years ago, and I went up to the area of Gates, uh, Mill City, Idana, Detroit Lake, where there was a number of charred out homes, properties, and chunks of forest, but then you'd find these peppered in pieces of property that seemingly had not been touched by the flames. And I wondered, maybe it was because people were standing there frantically spraying the hose on the house as the fires were approaching. Can you speak to that? I can. And really, it, um, it was spoken to a little bit by Sandy Roberts and Leah Williamson regarding defensible space. Um, some of it is just 
uh, I hate to say luck, but it's it's pure luck and how the embers fall. Some of it's defensible space and whether or not the embers landed on a spot that could have an ignition source. Um, it really, we saw that a lot in the California wildfires as well. Uh, for example, the one in 2017 in Santa Rosa, they'd have most of the homes burned down and then there'd be one in the middle of the suburb in the subdivision that was totally intact. Um, the other thing to, to keep in mind about some of those is that even though they physically are not burned down, uh, they can be so heavily smoke damaged that they are a total loss as well. So that is something to consider. Um, there's a lot of uh, challenges too for the folks whose homes did survive and now they're living there uh, looking at destruction every day and there's a lot of uh, survivor guilt and other issues that can come up. Uh, but most of the time, I, I would generally say the studies show that it's a defensible space type issue. Um, sometimes, yes, if you leave your home and you leave your sprinkler system on, that can help. But really, it's not going to do much for a big wildfire or a big ember wash unless you have defensible space in place. Listening to the Benton County Public Podcast. On today's episode, which is episode three, we have been discussing fire safety, awareness, and preparedness. We are joined by three guests who work in various fields of emergency management here locally. This podcast is brought to you by Benton County Government at your service every day. Benton County is a great place to live and work. You can find more information about Benton County and a career with Benton County at co.benton.or.us. As we wrap up today's program, let's think about some of the takeaways that we've from what we've discussed. And uh, Brian Lee, emergency manager for Benton County, what would you like listeners to really take away from today and maybe really consider? Yeah, thanks, Dan. What I really want the community to keep in mind here um, is that it's really important to take preparedness actions early on. Uh, build a kit, put together some disaster supplies, um, and develop some household plans and think about what you would do, what you would take, and what routes you would take out if you had to evacuate uh, during a wildfire or any emergency in general. Uh, the other thing, and probably the most important, I would say, is if you if you do any if you don't do anything else, sign up for our mass notification system. That's the Lynn Benton Alert. Um, if you have problems with the going on the website, uh, we can go on the website Benton County Sheriff's Office preparedness page. Uh, will allow you to sign up. That's the best way. Uh, but if you have issues or you don't use email, or you don't use the internet very often, uh, you can call us at five four one seven six six. 6864 and we can manually register you um, and that system is actually shared with Lynn County as well so you can contact their sheriff's office uh, if you need to register over there with Lynn County and of course if folks are interested you know, on the federal level you can just go to ready.gov to get ideas of what to put in an emergency kit what kind of ideas do you have maybe for people specifically that live in Benton County 
uh, yeah, some specific supplies really, especially for wildfire, um, you know, good clothing, a little bit of food, water, pet supplies, medications, um, and then your vital documents, copies of important documents, wills, uh, driver's license, all those kind of things that if you had to grab in the middle of the night and rebuild your life afterwards, uh, what would you need? And I would be remiss if I, if I didn't mention those family photo albums, uh, things of value that cannot be replaced. Those are the things you really want to grab and, and take with you. All right. Brian Lee, Emergency Manager for Benton County. Thank you for your time today and for your ideas. And uh, I would like to speak now with Sandy Roberts. Uh, Do you have any ideas that you'd like the listeners to really take away, especially as we consider, for instance, upcoming Fourth of July holiday or or just a dry summer? Yeah, I think now uh, more than ever, being prepared before the emergency happens, whatever, whatever that emergency may be, um, fire, floods, all those things, but in particular fires, um, look at your home for defensible space. Take the time um, to take that critical eye to look at your space, how, what work needs to be done. And if you're not sure, call your local fire agency, call the ODF, ask what resources are available, and we'll help guide you. Fourth um, of July, yeah. Um, if you plan on using fireworks um, to celebrate your fourth, um, part of that plan should be having a plan. <laughs> so having water on hand, um, lighting fireworks one at a time, not allowing your children to light fireworks, making it an adult act. Um, we want to keep our kids safe um, and never relighting fireworks. When you're done, proper disposal. Um, we have been meant to quite a few fires, including last season, right on the 4th of July, improper use into a plastic tub. Um, they thought it was out and they put it into a bucket and we had a structure fire and it was a total loss of a fourplex. So um, making sure that those fireworks are out, have a bucket full of water, disposing them of them into the water and letting them soak overnight. Um, and then using legal fireworks, anything that goes up into the air that explodes is not legal. Um, and with our current fire status um, with our current weather um, we're if you're using illegal fireworks you're taking a chance of putting fire up into the air and into somebody else's property and it's the risk of fire hopefully there are some stiff penalties for such uh, inconsideration are there um there are some state regulations um around that i can't really speak to what those are ors's are um But yes, I think there are some state regulations. I do know here in Corvallis, I I live in southeast Corvallis, and every year there's always at least one 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. explosion usually going into the 4th or the 5th. And it's always nice when that goes away. I know that certain local towns like Lebanon, for instance, I've read on some of the local pages on Facebook a few years ago that it's just for usually a a few weeks on, on either side of the 4th of July holiday, fireworks in the middle of the night and people just having a good time, but not being very considerate to, well, the fire safety of, of the area and also just people sleeping at 3 a.m. But there's really not a lot you can do about that sometimes at the end of the day, huh? Well, as, 
um, as a city agency, we ask that our public be safe um, because our job is to prevent and protect. That's our mission statement, right? And to prevent fire means not using illegal fireworks. And then, of course, just consideration of our neighbors. We always want that. Um, as we are a neighbor at all of our fire stations, we hope that um, others around us will be good neighbors. Um, that's all we can ask. And, and also, you know, consider wildlife, veterans with PTSD, children, the elderly. I mean, really, fireworks, I'm personally surprised that we, that we still celebrate in, in that fashion. I mean, if we love the land that we live in, why, why pollute the air and disturb the wildlife? But that's just me. And if, it's, if, if fireworks are what you love and that's the way you celebrate 4th of July, we at the fire department recommend you go to a planned event. Um, at those planned big events, you've got firefighters, um, emergency response, and a lot of safety layers that have been put into place. Um, and that is the safest way to experience fireworks. Thank you, Sandy Roberts, PIO for the Albany Fire Department and the Oregon State Fire Marshal's Incident Management Team for your time and and your insight today. It's been very helpful. Thank you for having me. Well, Leo Williamson, I think I'm going to give you the last word. Leo, of course, is the Protection Unit Forester for the ODF. That's the Oregon Department of Forestries. He works at the Philomath Unit. Do you have any takeaway that you would like the listeners to go away with? We've, We've discussed defensible space, preparedness, awareness. Is there anything else that you'd like to add as we wrap up today's episode? I think really my message echoes Brian, uh, echoes Brian and Sandy's quite a bit here, and it's all in the spirit of, of preparedness and informing yourself. Um, you know, we as an agency uh, train internally. We train with our partners. We have uh, statewide, regional, and international partners that you know we we put in a lot of work to be coordinated so that we have a smooth response when um, things do go south and and folks need our help. Uh, what I would say, though, too, is that it is a group effort. Um, you know, working for a state agency, we work for the people of Oregon. And to really make sure that we're safe year after year through fire season and we're minimizing acres burned and the impact to the people of Oregon, uh, we need your help as citizens, too. So, again, it's, it's making sure that you're informed, signing up for these emergency alerts, Uh, being aware of the fire danger in your area, adhering to our public use restrictions, um, because at the end of the day, the easiest fire for us to fight is the one that never starts. Um, So if if you're doing all that you can to prepare yourself to be informed, then you're playing your part in, in this complete and coordinated system that we operate in. And again, if there's any questions on any of this, please don't hesitate to reach out to us locally. Uh, at 541-929-3266. Thanks for joining us today for the Benton County Public Podcast. We'd love to hear from you if you have some topics that you'd like to hear discussed or if you would like to be a guest on this podcast. The Benton County Public Podcast is always looking for suggestions. You can email us at pioinfo at bentoncountyor.gov. My name is Dan Crawl. I'm the host, editor, and producer of the Benton County Public Podcast. Our theme song is by Doug Sowers. Our executive producer is Corey Grogan. Today we've been joined by Brian Lee, who is the emergency manager for Benton County. You can find out more online at co.benton.or.us slash preparedness. 
We were also joined by Sandy Roberts, who is the Public Information Officer for the Albany Fire Department and also the Public Information Officer for the Oregon State Fire Marshal's Incident Management Team. You can find out more online at cityofalbany.net slash fire. You can also visit oregondefensiblespace.org for more information on creating and maintaining defensible space. Finally, we were also joined by Leo Williamson. He is the Protection Unit Forester at the Oregon Department of Forestries, the Philomath Unit. You can find more information at oregon.gov ODF, where you can find information on public fire restrictions, defensible space, and more. Thanks for joining us today on the Benton County Public Podcast. We hope to see you next time. Thank you.